Our kids are growing up in a world where questioning one's birth gender is an encouraged option. With more and more of our kids questioning their gender and even taking steps to transition, we need solid guidance on how to compassionately walk alongside them and minister to them in ways that glorify God. Stay tuned as I chat with my friend Nicholas Black about what to say and what to do with those who are experiencing gender confusion on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, as I say every time we sign on here, I'm Walt Mueller. Welcome to Youth Culture Matters. And we've got an episode today that is extremely timely as I talk with a friend who's been a friend for quite some time, Nicholas Black, who is now on staff at New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Prior to that, was on staff at Harvest USA. And over the years, got to know Nicholas and several of those who were at the time working at Harvest USA as they were addressing matters related to sexuality, uh, how the gospel speaks to that, and in a world where the culture has been changing at breakneck speed, especially on topics of sexuality and gender, Harvest USA has been an incredible resource for so many over the years, and one that we here at CPYU lean into constantly. I, I think every seminar I do, no matter what the topic is related to youth culture, we talk about Harvest USA. I was with a group of folks in Lebanon, Pennsylvania last Thursday night, and we were talking about digital technology, and there were teenagers in the room, there were adults in the room, there were parents, school teachers, and as we answered questions about some of the darker spots on the internet, especially as it relates to pornography, that gave me an opportunity once again to talk about Harvest USA and some of the great resources that they have there uh, not just to make people aware of what's happening in regards to sexuality and gender in the culture, but how do we? How does the gospel answer that? And again, I ju- I've just found them to be so incredibly faithful to the scriptures and hope-filled. And along with that, as we'll talk today with Nicholas, uh, very respectful of people who struggle. They see everyone as uh, a divine image bearer, and and that really sets the table for some compassionate. Uh, counsel and and communication. So, Nicholas, welcome. I'm glad you're here with us. Glad to be here with you, Walt. And the the feeling when I was at Harvest USA was mutual. We always went back to your ministry uh, for resources and information. Uh, we thought it was a great collaboration we had with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, over the years, I mean, it's it's interesting how we have linked up with certain organizations, and and certainly Harvest USA is one that's at the really at the top of the list for us. So, uh, people always ask me, you know, who who do you trust on these things? Because you never know. Um, all sorts of things regarding sexuality and gender, whether it's books or websites or organizations, uh, offer up quote unquote Christian responses to this, and they're all over the map. And so. We've really worked hard to vet uh, all those organizations, and we we push people to those that are helpful. So Harvest USA, just uh, Chris, I'll mention this right at the outset. Chris Wagner here, uh, who's producing this in the studio today, he will be posting links to everything that's mentioned here on the podcast in the show notes. You can find that at cpyu.org under the player for this particular episode, and certainly harvestusa.org. That's a link that'll be right at the top. So uh, Nicholas, tell us, uh, why don't you start a little bit with what you're doing now, and then if you would rewind and just tell us a little bit about what you were doing when you were at, at uh, Harvest USA. Sure. Um, I've been at my church for over 40 years, two times as a staff person, a pastor, and I uh, I returned to New Life Glenside as the pastor for shepherding in 2019. And uh, so I oversee and am involved in the pastoral situations at New Life, our church has always been has been centered on people. Obviously, the preaching of the word is 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 um, is a major focus there. But we 
believe in community groups, we believe in relationships, and we get involved in one another's lives. So we have a pastor who helps people who struggle. I'm there not only to um, uh, walk people through their suffering and their struggle, but we have community groups, we have an involved diaconate, uh, and I, I work with those and help to oversee uh, community care, really. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, can I can so, I just interject there just a little bit about New Life? Because uh, back when I was a youth pastor in the Philly area, New Life was in its earliest days, I think, back in the 1980s. When was the church founded? Do you, do you know that? Yeah, or? it was founded in Jack Miller's living room in about 1973 or 4. Okay. And uh, so, and by the way, Jack Miller, I mean, many people are familiar with Jack Miller. I mean, the, the his his legacy is, and his fingerprint, it's on so many people that listeners to this particular podcast would know, right? I mean, Scotty mm-hmm. Smith, uh, Paul Tripp, right? I mean, Paul was, when he Paul was Paul was in not the, part of New Life Glenside. No, he was not. But, but we were... But David David Powson was yes. at CCEF. Yes, um, a lot of seating with that. Right, mm-hmm. right. And when those guys were in the Philly area, I know they were. I knew they knew Jack, you know. And there was some um, some give and mm-hmm. take there. Yeah. So it's it's really yeah. neat to you know just to to trace that. And uh, mm-hmm. but when I was back in Philly doing youth ministry at uh, Presbyterian Church up in Maple Glen, we had four churches. That I think probably about every two months we did a youth event together, and New Life Glenside was one of those. When Angelo was there, Angelo oh, yeah. Giuliani is the youth pastor who uh, I always describe Angelo as a piece of work. I'm sure he still is a piece of work, but uh, he's a great man. He oh, is a he great is full of energy you. and life, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, great, great guy. So, so I know New Life that way. Prior to that, though, you were at Harvest USA. Tell us a little bit about that organization. Yeah, Harvest USA has been around just about as long as New Life Glenside. I believe Harvest started around the early 1980s at uh, 10th Presbyterian Church um, and then became its own nonprofit because it was so successful. And it started out as a ministry to men and women with unwanted same-sex attraction and began to step into people's lives and, and also the life of the church. Because back then, if you were if you were struggling with same-sex attraction, you were not persona. You you were not allowed practically in the church. And Harvest was just this wonderful ministry of compassion and care. But I shouldn't say but with with strong biblical worldviews and principles um, that defined the way they worked with people, uh, men and women. And as it grew and grew. Over the years, it began to branch out into something new that that started to hit around the late 1980s, early 2000s, and that was pornography, which exploded on the scene with the emergence of the internet. And so that opened up a whole new area of sexual struggles and sin that Harvest began to help the church with. And then somewhere around 2015, Another area branched out, and that was helping families, parents whose children were beginning to self-identify as gay or lesbian, LGBTQ, um, and trans. And so now we have a very active uh, ministry to parents um, that I believe has uh, support groups online across the country. Uh, to helping parents. So my involvement there was originally to run the administration, the organization, um, because John Freeman, the the founder and president of the organization back then, was a great visionary and still is. Um, He just needed someone to run the daily stuff, and that was me. I had those gifts. Uh, But then I gave up that position and moved in to become the education education and resources director And a lot of the materials that were first printed um, grew out of the collaboration of the staff there with me in producing articles and books and now online resources since I've left. So there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Now, now Harvest does put out a, an actual print magazine that can be downloaded, I believe at no cost on the, the website. And yeah. uh, it's it's a great great resource. I think now it's yearly for a while. 
I believe it might have been quarterly or bi-yearly or something like that. I'm, I may get my terms wrong there, but uh, just a valuable, valuable resource that I want to say to youth workers and parents, uh, go there. You can download those. But also, you know, we found here at CPYU that if you go to the Harvest website, when we point people there all the time, it's searchable and it's not just information. I mean, it is. It, they will walk you through. The resources that are there will walk you through how to talk about these issues, how to minister uh, to people w- regarding these issues, what the scriptures say. And again, I, I, you you used a word there that's really, really important and I think is at the center of what we're going to talk about today, uh, and that is compassion, with compassion on people. That's how Harvest was founded. This was not an attack. This was not you know, a siding with the culture wars. This was really deep, deep care about people and wanting to see them uh, flourish. And so the article, I the reason I got a hold of Nicholas to come on today was in the latest edition of the Harvest USA magazine, which I think is uh, the, for the year 2022, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote a, a wonderful article called Gender Confusion, What Do We Say?, and I am hearing from youth workers constantly, you know, just what, how do I deal with this? I hear from parents as well. How do I deal with this? Because it seems to, for many, it's kind of coming out of nowhere because it's such a big deal with a culture right now. And certainly with uh, uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria, Abigail Schreier has written about that uh, mm-hmm. in her book, uh, Irreversible Damage. Um with that, you know, parents are many being blindsided by this, but but Christian parents really want to and need to know how to direct their kids through this. So your article, it's it's written, I think, in some ways for pastors, but the pastoral tone of this and the pastoral advice is just a, a you know a, a beautiful beautiful thing. So let me let me start with this question uh, before we get into these five suggestions that you make, five broad principles that churches can pursue. I, I just want to ask you, just can you frame for us quickly a biblical understanding of gender and where we need to go in the scriptures to to understand this? Like, what are, what's the foundation? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I do, and when I teach this also, is to say, just as the Constitution is a founding document to our country— And to understand how our country operates legally, organizationally, you got to go back to the foundational documents. It's the same thing with this issue. You go back to the scriptures, but you principally go back to the origin, uh, the first chapter, the first chapters of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That is the worldview of where male and female sexuality and gender how relationships should work and understanding that first from the creation god's good creation nothing was broken it all worked well and genesis 127 of course says that god created male and female in his image um and so therefore we believe that a worldview of gender is intimately connected with one's sexuality, um, because from that flows, be fruitful and multiply, multiply. And so you've got men and women, intergendered beings. Um, unity in diversity created to create, you know, to manage the world and God's creation. So God has a general decree for maleness and femaleness for men and women. Uh, And then he has a specific decree. So I go back to Psalm 139, where that whole Psalm of David says that God knew knew him intimately in the womb. He knew all his days and so forth. That, that, That understanding that our gender was not arbitrarily decided by parents or now medical professionals. God did that. God designed who we are, all the way down to our chromosomes, and whether we are male or female. So I go there as well. Then the third principle in worldview would be, we don't live in a Genesis 1 and 2 world anymore. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's all broken. It's shattered. 
And we now live in the time frame of the accumulation, particularly in the last hundred some odd years, of increasing secularization, where the ideas and the understanding of what life is, what it's about, what we're for, are radically disconnected from a biblical worldview. And it shows, it shows in all the chaos and in the brokenness of life. So that's where I go, Walt. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's good to go back to that, because that now informs how we counsel, how we talk, how we parent, how we do youth ministry, ministry in the church. And I'm thinking as you're talking about this, you know, there's uh, if we look at two extremes in the church right now, uh, both of which, you know, we need to avoid. I mean, you're talking about a third way here, if I can call it that, uh, and we'll get into it here, but one would be just complete affirmation. So you're feeling these desires. God made you this way. Live into that. We're going to love you, right? So love is equated with affirmation. On the other extreme is, I don't know what you might label it, but kind of the shame on you approach. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't belong here. Shame on you. You're, you know, there's no compassion for the for the person, right? So as we balance, uh, I guess what comes to mind here is grace and truth. I love you know, what you say here in this article that you wrote, the second paragraph, I'm just looking at it. This this is not a, um, when we get down to the level of the individual, this becomes not a cultural battleground, but a person who is struggling. Um, help us understand that perspective, how, how we assume that, you know, what is the posture we need to assume when we face this? Yeah, we've already said at Harvest USA, you are working with a person, not a problem. And the and the prop the issue is, of course, that we live in an increasingly polarized time. And it's so easy to to demonize people, to see them as not you. And so therefore you have no connection with them at all. But a person who presents with gender confusion is you. You are also a person who struggles with your own particular issues in life. You're not free of those. So the person you want to understand is not simply what do they believe culturally, for instance, but what's what's inside their heart? Because the, the, the Bible says the heart is the seat of human agency. And it and it connects with all the external influences that are out there. It's not the external influences that make you do what you do, but they have a huge contributing role of what's going on in your heart. And the heart is broken. It is fallen. So in and of itself, it needs guidance. Uh, It cannot exist on its own in order to understand who you are and what life is about. And now we're on the ground, of course, of postmodern thought which says that reality can only be fully understood by going deep within yourself and defining who you are. And we get now to this reality where one's truth, my truth, cannot be questioned, cannot be challenged. Um, And everybody is now this individual solipsistic silo that seems to have no connection to outward reality. That's a dangerous place to be, and we see the results of that right now. So what you have to do, I'll get back to your question, is you have to understand that person. What's going on with you? What's going on with your life? Tell me these feelings that you think you're somebody that you're not. Um, where do they begin? Yeah. Where, do they, where are they the most strongest? Um, tell me what it's like to live your life, because I don't know it. Um, that's where you start. You've got to know the person, not just the issue. Yeah. And, and typically, look, I'll, I'll just admit this as a dad. All right. We're all dads sitting mm-hmm. here, dads and moms. It's the same thing. I mean, we do this all the time, right? I know, I know I, I, if I am painfully honest, I show and have shown far more grace to people struggling with things outside my own family as I do to people, my own kids. You know, I want to I want to point the finger, I want to interrupt, and I want to push the button and say, this is the thing that'll fix this, just do it. You're saying, and I think this is just tremendous advice, that 
with these confusing issues that are not just confusing to us as we look on these folks, but are evidence of confusion on the inside. Let's let's ask a lot of good questions. Let's be sure that we know the story as opposed to, you know, issuing these diatribes or whatever it is we throw on people. And that's your first um, your first thing here, your first broad principle of these five. You say, affirm and recognize how hard this is right out of the gate. Can you unpack that for us? Because this is some tremendous practical advice when we face this and, and at times are just stunned by what we're hearing and seeing. Yeah, you know, I'll twist it just a little bit. Recognize if you're trying to help someone how hard this is for you (laughs) to understand another person. You're threatened by it. It's uncomfortable. And I'm speaking now as somebody who's, um, you know, maybe the typical guy. I'm facing a problem. I want to fix it. And I think I know the solution. Here's where you need to go. But the more I sit with a person and try to enter their world and to understand it as well as I can, I'm uncomfortable because it's going to lead me in areas of their life that I may have no connection with or understanding of. And I have got to learn. I've got to learn. So that's really important. So understand how it affects your own sense of being uncomfortable in all of this, how hard it is for you as well. Therefore, then you've got a connection to understand how hard it is for them um, also. That's that's the first thing. Uh, and then, yeah, I just said it, don't yeah. look for a solution. Some life problems are deep. They are entangled in the person's heart and in their life and in their social connections. So you've got to be able to be patient and see this as a journey with them. Yeah. And it may not be something that's fixed in like five meetings or eight meetings or whatever. Uh, We're talking a lifetime. And here's where the church really needs to step up, Walt, right? Yeah. I mean, it has to be not an affirming community that simply says, hey, whatever you want to be, we want you to be. Uh, But it recognizes that everybody in the church um, is wounded and struggling uh, and fa- and fallen. In some sort of way, we all have our own particular issues. And when we extend grace to say, yeah, I don't really understand all of that, but I'm also working with others and being led by the Spirit to know where God wants me to be. Let's, let's walk with you. Um, that's where it gets hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Finish what you were going to say there. I was just going to say that the church, thankfully, you know, God designed the church to be this radical, diverse group of people with all sorts of different backgrounds and histories and struggles. And um, we're not all on the same plane. And some people are very much threatened by people who stand out and are different. And uh, we as leadership have to keep saying, that's okay. God draws all sorts of people to us. He drew me, you know, as Paul would say, the chief of sinners into his into his family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as I think about this, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, I'm 66 years old now. So I I think the church is as much as as people may lament where the church is on many issues, one of the things that's really good about the church today is there tends to be a lot more openness as we recognize what you just said that we're all struggling with things and we don't have to dress up and get our hair combed and, and set just right and walk in and appear that everything's perfect uh, because we don't want to be shamed. And we look around and we want to make sure everyone else is perfect. But we've now, I think, gotten to this point in our healthiest churches where we know what sin is and we recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we're all fallen, as you say, broken. And now we become a community where uh, we don't just say, okay, that's what we are, we're going to live into this, but rather that's who we are, and we're going to support each other and encourage each other and seek uh, to live into who God has called us to be. And as you say, go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and recognize this fallenness. Well, this is good. We're, we've got, we're going to take a break, but we've got four more of these principles, these broad principles that Nicholas Black has written about in his article, Gender Confusion, What Do We Say?, very pastoral in nature, very helpful for pastors, youth workers, 
and parents together. We're going to come back and continue our discussion right after this break. Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best-kept secrets here at CPYU is our one-minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. We live in a sports-obsessed culture. In God's good design, sports are a good thing as long as they don't become an ultimate thing or idol. One measure of how much we worship sport is the growing pressure many kids feel from their parents to not only participate, but to excel. And this is happening at younger and younger ages. It's no wonder that many of our kids burn out and then drop out from youth sports. Researchers have found that many adolescents feel that their parents interfere in their sports experience by doing things like videotaping and critiquing their performances, offering rewards for excellent play, and putting them in too many camps. Researchers also found that this pressure can be attributed to parents wanting to give their children experiences they themselves never had. Parents, let's give our kids opportunities to play, to learn, to try hard, and to have fun. And let's remember Paul's word to the Ephesians about parents, that we are not to exasperate our children. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, I'm chatting with my friend Nicholas Black here. Nicholas is on staff at the New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I know Nicholas is a fellow Philly fan. We're right at the start of the baseball season. So our hopes are high, right? Are your hopes high? You bet. Although a little bit uh, dashed by Reese Hoskins going down. Yeah, I saw that happen. And right, I mean, I was watching and saw that happen. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And it's, you know, it's interesting to me not to get off on a baseball conversation here. Chris is a big baseball fan. He's a Yankees fan. Um, which we will forgive him for. We show him grace. But here's the thing with baseball. I And my, Lisa, even my wife, was talking about this. Like, as a kid, I don't remember guys getting hurt as much as they get hurt now or with the extreme injuries that they have. And it's just like, what in the world has happened? I'd love to interview somebody on that. To, you know, why is it? I mean, is it because they're more muscular? and It would seem to me if they're stronger – and more well trained, they would have less injuries, right? And uh, but but it's crazy when you think about. It. So we have high hopes, Nicholas. We'll we'll uh, maybe I'll see you at a World Series game in October. Well, I, you know? yeah, I hope so. But I I will have to you know true disclosure here. I'm from New York, Uh-oh. and so I am a Yankees fan as well. So Uh-oh. Chris, sorry, he's a he's a close brother to me now. Yeah. But I love the Phillies as well. But in 2009, my allegiances were greatly, greatly tested. Uh, okay. And- so, yeah. So they were tested in here in our office as well. I almost didn't want to come in the day after the World Series ended. Um, okay. Of course, Chris was here super early that day and he was wearing all his Yankees gear. But who did you ultimately root for in that 2009 World Series? Uh, what did it? It, uh, you know. My New Yorker came out. Okay. All right. You're making – Chris has a huge smile on his face right now. <laughs> I always felt, you know, as a as a Philadelphia as a Philadelphia fan growing up, you know, and my, my grandfather was a huge baseball fan, and my dad w- was as well, was a baseball player, um, got hurt and injured while he was trying out for a team that Connie Mack was putting together of amateurs, the Connie Mack All-Stars. And my dad was a catcher and – it was a wild pitch, and trying to impress them, he tried to grab it with his bare hand rather than the glove hand and uh, did some damage to his hand. But all that to say, I go back and I'm, I feel ripped off because we lost our American League team. I, I thought it would be wonderful to have two teams, the Phillies and the A's, the Athletics, to root for, but we got ripped off. So, yeah, you're a, you're a house divided against itself, I guess, Nicholas. That's... Well, let's get on. Let's get on with something more positive here. And I want to. Uh, you you were telling me before we started that you had actually taught on this at your church. Tell us about that class, 
and mm-hmm. some of the resources you use, because I think folks who are listening could do the same thing and find a, a wealth of resources where you found them as well. Yeah, well, we uh, we have this parents support group that started a couple of years ago that we call Parents Life, sort of a riff on New Life name. And uh, so we met every Sunday morning and we used Harvest USA's video teaching series called God's Design for Sexuality uh, in a Changing Culture. One of the last things I worked on before I left Harvest and came back to the church. It is a terrific presentation where you've got 15 topics, and each topic is broken into a 30-minute video taught by someone on Harvest USA staff. So we taught on um, issues of same-sex attract attraction and its origin and how you talk about it and how you look at it from a biblical perspective, several videos on pornography, um, one on trans um, issues, um, how do you how do you work with people who struggle sexually? Uh, so we went through probably seven of the 15 videos. And the way I designed the class, we only had one hour, is we would show the video for 30 minutes. And then the last 30 minutes, the class would be in around round tables, roughly six to eight per table. And I would have a series of questions they would talk about. And they were, and I encouraged the class. Don't be afraid to bring in your ideas or what you believe or what you don't know about. This is not a class to to squash things and and make certain everybody is talking along the same, you know, conformity wasn't the goal. Discussion was the goal. Because there's no way that you will begin to change someone's mind or attitude unless there's a mutual dialogue going on. Now, that was my second point in the article. Teach, but also seek mutual involvement. Listen, what are you, what are you saying? And so the class went on for about, nine mo- for about nine months, and we just ended it a few weeks ago. And uh, I heartily, I totally recommend this video series. It's got great questions that we developed, uh, and also a leader's guide so that a, a facilitator can help to facilitate good discussion in the class. And I think the the feedback we got was overwhelmingly, it was great not just to listen to a teacher, but to be able to interact with the teaching right on the spot. Mm. Well, that I think, was great. Yeah, and, and it sounds awesome, and I know that the, the curriculum is great. One of the things you say in the second point here about carefully teach and seek mutual involvement, which you had around those tables, Right at the outset, you, you say this, that communicate that deep, persistent struggles grow stronger when we contend with them in isolation. The, the power of the group is, you know, in the church. I mean, this is the way the church is, is to, uh, you know, to, to function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll give, here's an example, for instance. So you've got a, a youth group uh, member who is struggling with a sense of gender confusion. Um what you want to do in that youth group is teach and model civil, kind, loving behavior to everyone in that group, no matter what they believe or what their particular struggle is or what they think is right when it might be wrong. Um, you've got to practice that level of goodness and kindness toward people. I think we're we're called upon that in, in the New Testament in particular. But you also teach what the Bible teaches, and so you're not afraid to do that as well. So we encourage youth to get involved totally in the youth group because, as you know, the term rapid-onset gender dysphoria is the phenomenon that has occurred because the group that the individual is listening to is a group of online individuals that have that teach that particular um, worldview. And so we've got to counter it. And the most dangerous place to be is to live inside your own head, right? We all know what that's like. Uh, We think we know what's right. And in isolation, struggles increase, they grow, they magnify, right? Um, So you've got to have people involved in your life that actually will love you, if not affirm you, 
stick with you, but that doesn't mean affirming you either. And then build that relationship so that you're at the point where you can begin to do some challenges to how they're thinking. That's mm -hmm. what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. And I love what you said at the end of that particular point. And, and it's just to just to reiterate what you said earlier, walk with this person for as long as it takes through all the successes and failures that will be part of their journey. And, you know, as I was reading this, I'm thinking and, and listening to you unpack all this. Uh, and you you said this. I mean, we are all broken human beings, right? We live in a Genesis three world and we're all sexually broken, right? I mean, it's that's one of the things I've learned from the folks at Harvest USA. It's not people out there, it's me in here, that at some level there, there are, are struggles and temptations that we all have, some more extreme or different than others. But yeah, this is part of that, so identifying with. So the third thing that you say here is help her to grasp that our life, which includes our body, first belongs to God. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Well, here you're right up against uh, the worldview of postmodernity, aren't you? That we belong to no one. Uh, we belong to ourselves. Uh, we determine reality. It's my life, and I will do with it whatever I want. Uh, you know, it, we live in an increasingly secular age where you, when you take God out of the picture, the reality is there's no ultimate meaning, there's no ultimate truth, there's no ultimate right or wrong. You are on your own. Um, and therefore, um, being true to yourself, being your authentic self, of course, is the mantra. So you've got to find out what that is, right? Um, but God, who does exist, he has authority over us. He created us for himself. He created us to live in, in, in goodness and in, and in an abundant life, said Jesus. But that depends upon our aligning ourselves with God's design for life. We need to go back to the source of who life is, where it comes, and, and what it's all about. So what you've got to do is, is, is help this person understand that um, to do whatever you want is a type of freedom that leads to destruction and chaos. Um, the, the, the world uses freedom as no limits. But think of a river that has no limits and no banks. It floods everything and destroys everything in its wake. So that's what total freedom looks like. And if I were working with a youth person or anyone, I would say, let me, let me tell you what the reality is. Nobody defines their life entirely on their own. We are influenced by outside people. We are influenced by outside ideas. And all those outside ideas, particularly on the internet or the people that we have come to admire, they help to shape who we are. Nobody comes to their understanding of themselves just by looking inside themselves and discovering whatever desires they have. Those desires are a mix of people and ideas and influences that are all coming together. And then you begin to make them on your own. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and... so that's why you, you, you have to understand that the, the only stable source for knowledge about yourself is going to be the Lord and what his word says about who you are and why you're here. And that you use the word freedom, that that is true freedom. That's where we, you know, fully understand what it means to flourish when we live into that identity that we've been given as created mm -hmm. beings. Uh, I, go, just to go back to something you said, uh, the world's idea or, or type of freedom, you know, self-sovereignty is disastrous. And, you know, that's where I, I just keep thinking uh, about, um, you know, the detransitioning stories that are starting to sort of snowball right now, where you've got people who are saying, I thought this was freedom, and it's not. So now I want to detransition. And then the stories that I think are starting to come, and we're going to hear more of in the next four or five, six years of 
children who are now grown who maybe behaved in a way that a parent interpreted as a sign of, you know, well, you're, you know, you were born male, but you're actually female or, and, and then they, they, they took steps to help them present that way or puberty blockers or whatever else. And, you know, the anger that you're starting to hear and the regret from so many young people who are now growing older, who are saying they want to detransition and they're, they're angry at their parents for buying into that version of freedom as well. And, and, you know, man, mom, dad, I wish you knew better. Um, this was not helpful to me at all. So yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. That is, that's really, really helpful. You write here, uh, orienting ourselves about around Christ allows us to reflect on the secure identity that he offers rather than frantically trying to discover or fashion an identity for ourselves. And that is certainly um, the narrative of the culture. We talk here about, you know, the fluidity of identity and, you know, how Carl Truman and others write about expressive individualism, um, you know, in his books and, and just how the fluid identity is an outgrowth of that. But I mean, we're I think it was Os Guinness who said that, we, you know, in today's world, we're always becoming, but we never become anything for too long because we're always looking for the next best thing because that last thing that we thought would work didn't work. And, you know, it's like yeah. Augustine said, right? Our hearts are restless until they find our, our rest in thee. And I think the same thing, you could, you could, you could uh, replace the word hearts with identity in today's world. And I think we need to help and point kids to that. So, yeah, this is good. Um, let me let's take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to finish up here with the with the last two and uh, see if there's any other resources you would recommend for us. So be thinking about that, Nicholas. This is again a, a very helpful conversation with Nicholas Black and we're talking about his article Gender Confusion. What do we say? Some great great advice for churches, pastors, youth workers and parents. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. Nicholas, I want to ask you about Abigail Schreier's book. We mentioned it earlier, uh, Irreversible Damage, all about the trans, how, what's the subtitle? The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Girls. Um, so I don't have it in front of me, but I think that's what it is. I've read it, and I believe you've read it. And I know at Harvest, uh, in the same, same edition of the Harvest magazine, right before your article, John Freeman wrote a review yeah. of that particular book. Can you talk about that? It's the book that unpacks... Uh, this whole social contagion that we now know as rapid onset gender dysphoria, which, by the way, is these are kids who are not, many of them not having any of the classical, we might call them feelings of gender dysphoria that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who struggle say they actually have a struggle. This, this is not a part of this story. Yeah, yeah, this is um, this is a hard-hitting book. Um, it's not Christian, but it is full of data and facts that she has gathered. She's a sharp writer, um, and it's it's pointing out the the tragedy that's taking place, particularly among uh, girls today in our society. Uh, she coined, I believe, the term "rapid onset gender dysphoria," and she was just assaulted in the media when this book came out. Um, banned, and, banned by Amazon. It was banned yeah. by Amazon for a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, and she just pointed out the, what I said earlier, that the, the social influences um, just have led so many teens down these roads where, um, you know, we know, you know, the world is really a world where you try to find the one thing that will fix your life. It's, we live in a world of reductionism because we don't obey God's word and follow it. And the reduction is reductionism is this thing is going to fix you. Uh, and your problem can be defined this way. And increasingly, your problem is being defined as either being sexual or gender. And I think that's the fruit of the LGBTQ 
movement over the last 50 years is that the essence of a human being is defined or distilled as your sex, your sexual preference, or your gender. That's it. And if you're confused about that, we know where it we know where you need to go. And so it's led so many youth and particularly teenage girls into thinking, well, I don't really know who I am. I've got to find out who I am. And and they don't feel feminine. They don't they don't think and feel along certain historical, cultural, gender stereotype lines. And so they begin to be open to the persuasion that there's really something deeper going on in them. And so they embrace a movement that is increasingly being supported, and this is what's most terrific, by the medical community, particularly the psychological community. And I don't want to trash you know, doctors or psychologists. You know, they're, they're very useful, but that there's been this wholesale almost embrace of this idea that you know who you are alone and that what you say is who you are what you think or feel is who you are and the bible says your desires are disordered disordered they're not absolute truth yeah um so abigail's book just brings out the social contagion idea of of um how uh, teenagers in particular are influenced and and I loved I love also if you don't mind uh, Jordan P Jordan Peterson says that um, struggles with youth have been pathologized today and so we make them into a DSM category and then we've got to fix them um, youth by its definition is a time of confusion it's a time of struggle it's a time of trying to find out who you are. But now we pathologize it and we send them down the path of moving in directions that are um, that in particularly when it comes to trans stuff cannot be easily undone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I would add add to what you've said to what we talk about here. You know, we say that the two great tasks and there are many of adolescent development or childhood development are, are one, as you just mentioned, identity formation, finding an answer to the question, who am I? which the scriptures, as you said early on in the podcast here, um, help us understand when we go back to uh, Genesis 1 and 2. We see how that's broken in Genesis 3 and then further on through the scriptures, you know, uh, in the Psalms and certainly elsewhere. And Jesus would talk about this as well. You know, if we keep our eyes on the identity question, you know, who am I as we read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, uh, the answers are there. And then the second one is worldview formation, right? What do I believe? And so, as you've said, uh, youthfulness, the adolescent years are times of confusion and rapid change and trying to get answers to questions, all at the time when your brain is not fully formed and you're making some decisions. I'm exhibit A, right? When, when I think back to my teenage years, it were just incredibly unwise and misguided. Um, and, and you want to fit in. And mm -hmm. this whole thing now, I mean, you, I just, I, I, you know, our girls, I, I think, and that's Abigail Schreier's writing, particularly about girls. Our girls, especially during those middle school years, are desperate to just fit in. Guys are as well. But this is an option, a subculture option that offers a place. So it's not so much the, um, you know, the menu that you're given for this, you know, rapid onset gender dysphoria that's attractive. But taking on the men you were taking on taking this on gives you a place to belong and to feel safe and secure. And with the breakdown of the family now and 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 the decline of the church in terms of providing a place and guidance for kids, they're going to look somewhere because God made us to belong. And we're going to go to some of these places that uh, undo us and undermine our well-being. And, and certainly this is one. So, yeah, that's a great recommendation. Let's look at um, number four here in your article. You say, teach a biblical view of perseverance in the midst of suffering. I love this. I mean, this is, this is about so much more than just the, the, the gender question, uh, but really all of life. Can you unpack that a bit for us? Yeah, I think this part definitely has grown in my own life because God— in God's ordaining my life, he gave me two disabled children. 
one who died as an infant by that disease and another who has survived as a 30-year-old and uh, is completely disabled, nonverbal, non-communicative, uh, paralyzed, needs 24-7 care and oversight. It's not an easy life. If, if you know what that life is like uh, from having met other parents. Um, but there's something that comes from that suffering, and that is your character emerges, the type of person who you are and will become. Um, and so I have been radically changed by the suffering of being a parent of a disabled child. So has my wife. Uh, I believe my son has also, even though I don't quite understand him well, of course he's been profoundly impacted by that suffering. Um, and it doesn't go away. I think there's two things here. We have a simplistic view in the church that God will heal if you only have enough faith. But that's just not reality. God is sovereign over what he decides happens or not. I'm not... I'm not limiting the power of prayer, but when we use it only as, if I have enough faith, I'll get what I need or what I want. God knows what we need and what we want, and it's oftentimes not what we think we need or what we want. And then the world has this simplistic view that with increasing technology, we should fix things, and that suffering should not exist. Um, uh, but that's also equally simplistic. Life emerges out of struggle, and out of that struggle, your character will emerge. And I believe as a Christian, you'll begin to see more how God meets you in that struggle. Um, you said earlier, when you were a teenager, your mind was unformed, your behavior was unformed, and you probably thought, that's how I'm going to be the rest of my life. And then suddenly you become a man, you become an adult, you're grown, your roles change, you were single, but then you became a father, and then later on a grandfather. You change, you emerge into a new person, and all of that is informed by what goes on in your life, and certainly in how you live your life before God, in communication and in relationship with him. We need to teach that the struggle you have is one in which that is where God is going to meet you, right there. And the struggle to get out of it by moving outside of God's design will not help you at all. You are moving from a struggle in which God will give you what you need to be who he wants you to be in the midst of that, but if you move out of it in order to, to fix it, by a way in which God says, no, do not go there. Um, you are entering a world of chaos and confusion and ultimate more pain and more misery. And don't we see that from people who eventually, like the prodigal son, realizes that his life is a mess and he returns. And, and, and so it's a great story of God's grace to, to bring people back even when they've gone along that path. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, your your personal story and and how that has shaped you. And I know we haven't talked deeply about that. Uh, is one that we've heard here numerous times. One of our last podcasts with Dan and Kristen Sturk and what they've learned through suffering. And even before that, we've had other conversations. And I consistently hear from people who have suffered in unimaginable ways that. Uh, the first line of that hymn, you know, whatever my God ordains is right. Um, there's something about that. It doesn't say it's easy. It doesn't say it's delightful, but there's something formative in this. And that's what you're, that's what you're saying here. I mean, my, relatively speaking here, my limited experience with pain and difficulty, whether it's relational or physical or whatnot, um, I've understood God's grace to be sufficient that it hasn't made things easy. And coming out the other side, you you learn things where you say, um, yeah, this has been, what does it say in Psalm 119, right? Uh, my suffering has been good for me uh, because it, it forced me to lean into who you are. It forced me to lean into your word, God, to lean into your decrees. And um, so even this can be redemptive as I think, what you're saying, right? I mean, it's 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 part of our Christian growth and 
and development in faith. Absolutely. And, and suffering confronts us all even more starkly with the choice of being, do I live autonomously and make life on my own terms? Or do I lean in on God and depend upon him and trust him that in the midst of whatever comes into my life, I will not be left without the resources. Yeah. And what are those resources? His word, um, it's his spirit he gives to us, and his community, his body, the church. Um, and that's, again, a call to don't live out your struggles in secret or in isolation, but bring it out into the open, and, and God will meet you right there. Yeah. yeah. And that's your and that's your last point in the article, uh, caller to bring God into the heart of the situation. Um, any any other thoughts on that uh, beyond what you've just said, and and especially for those of us who are walking alongside kids who are struggling with this. Um, I think on a just a very simple level, I try when I talk to people as much as possible to get them to actually pray in our meetings not just pray for them, but why don't you talk to God as well? And and oftentimes there's a big struggle there. Uh, they're either ashamed uh, or they're angry. Those are two chief responses about why, you know, the in the midst of the confusion about why they're going through what they're going through. But I just say, God wants to hear from you. Just as you're listening to me, God is listening to you and talking to you. It's a real live relationship. Um, so just say what's on your mind to God. Yeah. And and that's just sometimes the first step that a person can say, I can actually go to God with all my anger, all my distress, all my confusion, uh, and I don't have to pretty things up to go to him. I just go to him. Yeah. And that's that's a good example of how you bring God into the relationship right then and there. Yeah, so I guess to summarize what I've heard you say, you know, if I'm walking away as a youth pastor right now, you've challenged me to walk alongside, uh, to love, and then to lead as well by by teaching truth. But you know, don't don't give up. I mean, God's grace is big enough, uh, big enough for for folks who are struggling with this. And certainly, you know, the the cultural narrative is is being trumpeted 24-7, and smartphones yeah. are certainly a big part of that. You know, mm-hmm. as you were talking about Abigail Schreier, I was thinking about all the tutorials kids can go to that give them the mm-hmm. scripts for what to say when they go home and announce to their parents, I'm going to transition, you know, as a 13-year-old girl with absolutely no indication of this prior to that, you know, so it's 24-7, but we have a God who is 24-7 in our lives and and a biblical narrative, which which guides and directs us. So, uh, I want I want to finish up just uh, with a mention of some resources here. I'm, let me, let me give a couple first, Nicholas. As you were talking, I was thinking of these, and then I want you to go back and just remind everybody about Harvest USA and and the video series. But some uh, we've had uh, Peter Linus. I don't know if you know Peter Nicholas. He's over. He's head of the um, Evangelical Alliance in the UK, and Peter Linus has written a great online free downloadable resource called Transformed. We'll put a link to that in the show notes in the player, uh, right underneath the player for this episode of uh, Youth Culture Matters. Um, in addition, Andrew Walker's book, God and the Transgender Debate, has been helpful to so many as Abigail Schreier's book was banned from Amazon but made its way back after some protest. Andrew Walker's book just disappeared, banned and gone. Uh, but you can still get it. I don't think it's back up on Amazon. And then uh, Kevin DeYoung, uh, Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor who many of us are familiar with, will include a link to uh, it was like a two and a half hour YouTube where uh, a video of a conference he did where he gave a theology of transgender and then went into uh, a biblical counselor who gave some great advice to parents. And then lastly, uh, a first-person testimony from a detransitioner uh, who had come to faith. And it's, it's, that's excellent. The other thing I'd mention is, uh, boy, this is going to sound like shameless self-promotion now, but the little book that I put together for Reformed Youth Ministries in the track series, uh, Student's Guide to Navigating Culture, 
that helps parents and youth workers teach students how to look at the world and look at God's Word and then determine what God is calling us to in terms of the biblical narrative. The, uh, one of the last chapters in there is um, uh, on, the, on, the gender, on the gender issue. So, uh, Nicholas, anything else? I mean, you can mention, again, I'd love for you to mention again the, uh, the video series from Harvest. Yeah, uh, three things pop into my mind just immediately here, Walt. One is the 15-session video curriculum that Harvest um, designed, God's Design for Sexuality in a Changing Culture. 30-minute videos on all the topics relating to sexuality and gender with great resources for leading facilitated discussions. Uh, that's That's one. Uh, there's a lovely little book out, uh, I think New Growth Press uh, has published it, called God Made Boys and Girls, Helping yes. Children Understand the Gift of Gender. And one of the things I think we've got to do as parents more and more now, we never had to do this, right? That right from the youngest age, we've got to stress, God made you a boy, God made you a girl, celebrate being a boy, celebrate being a girl. That's... that's we didn't have to do that before. But as you said, they're going to enter a school system. They're going to engage what's online. And they're going to be encouraged that there's confusion about that. And they've got to mine something that uh, tells them who they are. Yeah, can I can I just tell you, I, I am so excited you mentioned that book. I had totally forgotten about that. I have a copy in my office here. Marty Machowski, I think, wrote that, correct? Yes, right. And... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we say here, it's so true, you're, you're saying it right now, is who, whoever speaks first uh, sets the bar for truth, and everything else will be judged by that. And like you said, kids are hearing this at a very young age, sometimes before they even arrive in school. And we we need to have these conversations. That book, God Made Boys and Girls, is excellent. And I recommend it for parents right from the get-go. And, and what I stress, this was the mantra we had in the class, what I would say what youth parents, youth members, uh, leaders, and parents have to say, your struggle is not whether you are a man or a woman or neither because of the non-binary. Right. Your struggle is coming to understand what that means for you in God's world. What does it mean for you to be, to be a man? What does it mean for you to be a woman? Um that is a struggle, um, but but the foundation of who you are is your sex and your gender made in the image of God. You're not have you don't have to figure that out on your own. So uh, I don't know if and I would just simply say Harvest USA is an ongoing resource with their blogs and their materials because again they are so biblical, so pastoral. And I think very much on top of the cultural issues, like like you are, Walt, in your ministry. Well, Nicholas, this has been really good. I, I am so grateful for you. You've I've I've sat under you and listened to your teaching and benefited from your wisdom. We have certainly here at CPYU, and it's a pleasure to be able to to chat with you again and to see you. Although I see you, Chris sees you, but nobody else can see you. We're on a Zoom here, and we can see each other. Um, and, and I'm just so grateful for the way that you've been faithful to the Lord in terms of uh, communicating truth in the midst of some difficult times and difficult issues where uh, it puts you in a bullseye. Um, it puts, puts you in a bullseye in big ways, and I think that's where God calls us, and we, we have to be faithful. So you've been a, a good and faithful model of that along with the other folks at Harvest USA. So thank you so much, and uh, we're grateful for you. Good, good to chat with you. Thank you, Walt. Grateful yeah. for you too in your ministry. Yep. Well, right. every, yeah. Thanks, and and everybody, we we are grateful for you. These are the kinds of conversations we want to have to be able to equip you to deal with life in a rapidly changing world. Um, we would love to hear from you if there's a particular topic that you would want us to address. Get a hold of us here at CPYU. Make a suggestion, and we'll find uh, some way to, to speak to it and, and offer some solid, biblical, biblically faithful advice on things and, and some direction. We'd love to do that. And, and as always, we say, you know, this is, the, this is uh, what we always say, right, with podcasts now. It's obligatory. If you have a podcast, you know, share it, like it, give us a good review, let other people know about it. 
and uh, we'll continue here to, to grow and, and provide you with resources. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.